0: You're listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, episode 104.
1: You're talking about putting your fuck parts in my head where my brain lives. You know,
0: in nature,
2: only a handful of creatures made for life.
1: But isn't that, like, cheating?
2: We can't do this 24 hours a day, seven days a week.
1: Why not? The safety word is banana. It is so refreshing to be with someone who likes to fuck outside the box. This is the Touch of Flavor podcast. Dating and relationship advice by Kingsters for Kingsters. Join us as we tackle BDSM, sex, non monogamy, and how to build extraordinary relationships in an ordinary world. And now, your hosts, Cassie and Rigel. All right, folks, so today we have an interesting guest on, someone who's not necessarily, well, our target audience? I don't know.
0: I was gonna say, not necessarily somebody that you've probably heard on other sex or kink podcasts before. So today we're interviewing GS Youngblood, right? And GS Youngblood coaches men in relationships on how to live, love, and lead from their masculine core. He specializes in nice guys who are with strong women. And his teachings combine in deep embodiment work with the framework of the masculine blueprint from his book, The Masculine in Relationship. This was really interesting. I think Cass and I both went into this a little braced in terms of wondering where we were going to butt heads yeah. for reasons that I'm sure you can get from the bio.
1: <laughs> and obviously there are areas that... We don't align, but we actually found some some similarities in principles as far as what we bring to our relationship tables.
0: Yeah. What was what's so interesting to me about this, and this is something I think a lot of times we don't do enough in in our world that we're all in, but is to, you know, really sit down and have conversations with people we're worried we might disagree with, is that when you get down past the phrasing, a lot of the principles for good relationships that he teaches are similar to good principles for relationships that we teach. And it was super interesting to find those points of agreement and definitely some points of disagreement along the way as well. So with that, we'll hop in. And without further ado, we bring you GS Youngblood. Okay, awesome. From your end, what is it that you kind of view your work as and what you do?
2: Well, I, I try to specialize in men in relationship and it's that masculine feminine dynamic. And I've been through it. I've seen so many men go through it where there's a lot of relationship friction and a lot of that comes because the guy, he isn't bringing any masculine energy to the relationship. So he's not creating a, a natural polarity in the relationship. And um, so I created a, I call it a blueprint in the book. I don't, I don't know how much of the book you guys were able to get uh, exposed to, but in the book is this blueprint for what, what I would define as sort of a template or a framework for a masculine core. It's a framework that fits in today's modern society with women that are, that are strong, capable, and doing all the same things that we men are doing. And, you know, And It sort of fits into that modern culture where we both have equal levels of capability. So that's kind of the, the I don't know, the 30-second version of what I work on. Now, I presume part of that that ties into the work you guys do is power dynamics in the bedroom. So there's a chapter in the book called Sexual Leadership. I, I may have shared it with you if you're in a relationship and you're complaining about not having enough sexuality in your, in your relationship, you know, it's probably because you're waiting around for her to just naturally feel sexual. And then you say, woohoo. And then game on, but it's talking to men about, Hey, you can show some leadership. You can lead her into her own pleasure. And then, you know, that can extend out into power dynamics. And so what I'm finding, I'm actually giving a workshop in two weeks to a few guys. I'm going to test drive a workshop on kind of developing that darker energy so that you can bring it into the bedroom and and play with a little power dynamics and so many of these men their their wives are really dissatisfied with their with their sex life so I, that's where I saw as a natural overlap between part of what I'm writing about and what you guys do but that's that's kind of it in a nutshell
0: we definitely want to dive into some of that stuff but I do just want to take a minute and talk about how you how you got there right because it seems like quite the jump from what you were doing before to what you're doing now. Could you talk about that a little bit? Where you were at and then how, what what pulled you? Like, how'd you wind up making this, this big jump into what you're doing?
2: My motivation came out of failure of a marriage that ended 10 years ago. It was a 10 year marriage that ended 10 years ago. And by the end of that marriage, I was, I mean, I'll, I can say, it. I'm not proud of it, but I was emasculated. You know, I was just giving up, any of my needs, my preferences, my viewpoints just to avoid conflict. And that I thought that would make things better and it actually makes things worse. It, it makes your feminine partner respect you less, feel less close to you, feel less inspired by you. So that really sucked. The divorce uh, was hard for me. And that was my motivation to go into personal development. So first it was authentic relating. There's a, there's a whole community here in San Francisco. Then it extended into men's work, like David Data's work. He's, he's probably the most well-known luminary in, in that field. And then just going through the men's work, going through the trainings, and then being in relationship with a new woman who, at the time, I was with was very, very feminine and, and very powerful. And so seeing what works and what doesn't work, and then starting to really push our edges sexually as well and playing with the power dynamics. And it was just amazing because um, to go from where I was that emasculated to, at that time, being in a relationship with a powerful woman and being able to really feel in my own power in that relationship with a powerful woman, seeing what worked, seeing what opened her, what didn't open her. It was amazing. Amazing both learning, but also like, wow, I'm in a very rewarding and fulfilling relationship. So that was kind of my journey. And somewhere along the way, I was I was just taking notes for myself. And eventually, you know, I had a couple hundred notes to myself. And I, and I said, you know what? I had to just put this together into a book. I had written a book before, it was a business book. So I, I kind of knew the process. And so I started that five years ago and then was fortunate enough to publish right at the end of last year. And that kind of brings me to today, where, where I use the book to really guide my coaching with men, both in relationship, even all the way out into the sexual dynamics.
1: Just to kind of start, what is, you talked a bit about like masculine leadership and being a masculine in a relationship. So what does that mean to you?
2: The easiest way to answer it, and and, you know, we can talk about the subtleties, but the easiest way to answer at the top level is to really tell you what the blueprint is about. So it's a three-part blueprint. And so it's three qualities that for me uh, is what represents masculine energy. So, and, and by the way, that the masculine energy doesn't necessarily mean just the man it could be any kind of polarity, any gender, any sexual orientation. It doesn't really matter as long as you've got one person in one pole and another person in the other pole. So even though it says masculine, you have to kind of do the translation in your head. Now I speak primarily to men. So that's, those are the pronouns that I end up using, but you can apply it universally. But what it means to me is uh, number one, the first element of the blueprint is respond versus react. So this is a quality of stillness groundedness and presence and sort of a containment and directedness about this person's energy it means not being reactive it means not being uh, defensive or shutting down in times of conflict because those are reactive behaviors it's instead it means being very choiceful about how you're responding in any given moment to you know interpersonal conflict that's that's natural so that's element one element two is provide structure right so you, you it could be structure or direction. So this is the quality of clarity, decisiveness, being in tune with what you want. You know, a lot of a lot of men really they they've kind of atrophied their own capacity to know what they want, whether it's their preferences or a boundary. And that's one of the core things I teach to men: is you've got to get more in touch with what you want. Quit abdicating, quit deferring because you think that that's going to make things better. Know what you want. And then you know I go on into different ways to provide clarity, provide direction in the relationship. And that's the, there's nothing about control that's implied there. It's not about that. It's putting out your clarity, your decisiveness as an invitation for your feminine partner to, to join with you and participate or follow. So that's provide structure, the second element of the blueprint. And then the third element is provide safety or create safety rather. And so this could be physical, financial, or emotional safety. I talk mostly about emotional safety in the book. If you go with archetypes, feminine energy is is going to be more tuned emotionally. In in most cases, it can be more chaotic. It can be very frustrated to a left brain man who, you know, he's thinking more logically than it is emotion, and so it can be. Sometimes his feminine partner's uh, behavior can be baffling to him. And we don't always always hold space for some of that chaos and some of that emotion. That's not going to make your feminine partner feel safe. And so for me, again, part of the masculine core is really being skilled at holding space for, for the emotions and the chaos that can come up at times in relationship. When you're grounded, that transmits to your partner. When you set direction, provide clarity and structure, that allows your partner to potentially choose to relax into your lead. And when you create safety, that allows your partner to really relax, feel safe. And that tends to open the feminine when they feel safe. And then the opposite's also true. When they don't feel safe, they don't tend to be either physically or emotionally open. So for me, it's it's a man who chooses to embody those qualities. That's really the, the foundation of masculine leadership. And here's the last thing I'll say about, you know, that... At a, at a more basic level, I'll, I'll, I'll say this by way of example, but, you know, I know in my, certainly in my marriage and, and even in the, the, the relationship I had after that, like sometimes as a guy, you know, the chaos would come up, conflict would come up and I'd kind of hunker down and kind of hope it would blow over. And then everything would just get back to normal. But usually that just caused things to calcify and, and stay, you know, shut down on both sides. Me and my masculine leadership would have, would have made different choices, which is, you know what? I, I don't know what the problem here is. I don't know if this is her dysfunction. Is it mine? Is it both? It doesn't matter. I'm going to make a choice to lead us out of this. And that might sound like, you, you know what, baby, I have to call a timeout. We're, we're arguing and we're just kind of spinning, circling the drain here. Here's, I would love for us to take 15 minutes. Let's just pause. Let's come back in 15 minutes. We're each going to tell each other two things we like about each other. And then we can continue this discussion. And so what I'm doing is I'm making the choice to kind of lead us out of this dysfunction that we've gotten ourselves into rather than sort of the opposite of that, that a lot of men make and present company included of kind of hunkering down, waiting for it to blow over, or waiting for her to kind of, you know, make the first conciliatory move. So that's, that's, I don't know, by way of example, that is uh, part of how I think about masculine leadership. All right. So I talked for a while. So no, we're good. There. So this, this is, this is
0: actually really interesting. So, I have, I, have, I have a question about that, but first, just if I can, like, so do you spend, is most of your work with guys who are already in relationships or with single guys? Um,
2: I enjoy most people that are in relationship. Um, the reason is they just have situations that come up and that, that serve as fodder for our coaching sessions. Gotcha. Uh, it, it, it applies to both, but it's just when you're in relationship, you know, this shit stirs up every day. So you've got lots to talk about in a session.
0: Yeah. So what what's kind of drawn my attention and going through this, and it, it did actually back when you were talking about your relationship and what happened there. A lot of the things that you're talking about, the the creating that sense of safety, the not really compromising on what you need and and being clear about that. What was the first part of the I'm sorry, what was the first part of the framework? The um respond versus react. Yeah, responding so, versus reacting, right? Or even down to kind of the example you just gave of like, hey, you know, this, is, this isn't this is going well, let's take a break. You know, to me, and when we're working with people, those are good relationship skills, period. Yeah. Right. And I'm, I'm just curious, like, it seems to me like where you're coming from with it is that that falls more on, even if you're not talking about gender, but like kind of like the polarity of like where one partner should be stepping up and taking that those steps. And is there a reason that that's kind of how you see this rather than both people should be doing all of those things that you're talking about with yeah. this
2: blueprint? A few reasons, mainly because men are not prone to that. We like to be right. We like to be correct. We're not necessarily the stewards of the connection between the two, which I, I generally, I find that that the feminine partner is more attuned to the connection, more the guardian of that connection. and Men, we're, we're not so much. So you know, one of the things I say is you may or may not be the problem, but you are the solution. So in directing all this to men, yeah, you could apply it to women or the feminine as well, but we're not naturally tuned to that. So we tend to defer. That doesn't work. And it's not, it doesn't come naturally to men. So, you I, you know, we've got to inspire them and teach them these kind of relationship skills. It doesn't come naturally to us. And so that's why it's a big focus and why I'm focused mainly on men, because they're just such a fertile target because, well, I'll say we, because we're not doing it naturally. I don't know. Does that make sense, Josh?
0: It does. I, I, it does. I guess I'm just I'm trying to figure the whole masculine feminine approach. Though, do you see again genders or not? Do you see as there being like different roles that people should take in a relationship, or you know, like we were just saying, like are these skills that you think really everybody in a relationship should be bringing to the table?
2: It's a choice, and it's it's a choice for, for how any individual person wants to be. And also a choice for the type of person I want to be with. What I would say is, I don't, like me personally, you know, GS, I don't need my woman to be, to have stillness and groundedness. Like I I actually enjoy when she's chaotic and expressive and, you know, big emotion. Um, I actually enjoy that a lot. That's not a quality I would say, hey, that's just a good relationship skill. We should all do that. So it's something that I enjoy. And I think that's one example of where I don't see it as um, just a general relationship skill. As it relates to the second element, you know, provide structure, I, this, again, this is personal choice for me. I enjoy when, in a lot of areas of our life, when my woman will surrender to my lead. And of course it's her choice, you know, surrender is probably too chargeable to charge of order. choose to follow my lead. I like it when she's willing to do that. And I have to earn it every day, of course. And so again, I don't see that as a gen- necessarily a general relationship skill for the template that, that that I'm putting out there, proposing to the world. And so it's great when we're not when it's not just these common relationship skills. Like she's in a certain energy, and I'm in, a, in the sort of the opposite polarity energy. That's that's when I think our relationship works the best. And so that's why I don't call them or refer to them as general relationship skills so much as in a highly polarized relationship, which is what I'm after, and I'm also sharing with other people it feels good when we're in different energies. So I guess that's why I'm directing it mostly to the men because I'm I'm describing a certain style of a polarized relationship.
0: What is, what is a polarized relationship when you're talking about it?
2: Well, it means two people, not both in their masculine energy. It means maybe one's more in a directive energy and one's more in a receptive energy. Now, it doesn't mean that can't flip from situation to situation, but in any given moment, you've got... That polarity, and if you if you think about it in the in the bedroom, you know, my woman loves when I take her, when I take charge, and she can just surrender to that. That's when our sex is most fun. If we were both trying to be in charge in the same moment, it could dampen that polarity and the kind of the charge that we experience. And so, in any given moment, we're in we're in different energies. Again, that can flip, but in any given moment,
1: I'm curious because you know I I I looked up some of the stuff that you have, and you talk about. Like BDSM, mm-hmm. how does this relate to, and how does this work into dynamics where there is a dominant female?
2: Well, then the polarity would be reversed. You know, it, it, for me, the, you know when you say dominant, that means she's going to be in her masculine energy. Now she can be a, f- a feminine person, but she if she's the dominant, she's going to be in her masculine energy. So it all still applies. Uh, it's just, she's, she's adopted that, that, uh, side of the polarity.
0: I'm genuinely curious, like, cause I, I get, I get the idea of polarity in relationships, you know, particularly if, and, and I know, and I'd be really interested in talking cause I know I saw, I think in the description of your book that you take some of your principles from BDSM. And when you're talking about directive versus receptive, I hear a lot of, of power exchange themes there, mm-hmm. but I guess I'm curious if it's not gender specific, what, what's the, purpose in labeling it masculine and feminine, as opposed to, like you said, like directive and receptive or something.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, it's funny you say that Josh, because I, I had really grappled with whether I wanted to refer to masculine feminine and, and directive and receptive were the two phrases I thought about just using across the board in the book. I didn't make that choice for a couple of reasons, just in the tradition that I I've been studying in. This is sort of in the school of David data. Um, it's, it's a commonly known terminology. Also, I did choose to talk to men specifically. That's just, you know, what I want my target audience to be. So it, it then those terms of the energies did mostly match up with the, with the gender references as well, but I could have easily stripped it out and had it be just re- like really strip out the gender. It just, I chose not to for those reasons, but I could have gone there for sure.
0: So it sounds like, and I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like that choice of, and I'm just trying to understand where you're coming from. And Cassie, actually, I'm coming into this a little more blind than Cassie, if I'm being completely honest. <laughs> it sounds to me like the, the masculine feminine choice is really more a branding choice and an actually how you see relationships choice and how you're actually structuring and applying your methods.
2: Yeah. You said marketing choice. I think that was the phrase you used. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, I guess that term fits. It was, it was, like I said, it was a choice of who's the target audience I'm talking to, which is definitely a marketing choice that one makes in business. So yes, you know, this could be flipped entirely, but I'm definitely going after that, that class of men that, that's, that wants to inhabit their masculine pole and they're with a woman who who chooses to inhabit her, her feminine pole kind of as their standard energies, not strictly, but as their mainstream energies for their life.
1: And I can respect that. We have the podcast that we have here where we talk to kinky and non-monogamous folks. And Mm -hmm. what we do every day is we coach non-monogamous people in their relationships. And that's our target audience because that's where we have passion. It still is kind of curious to talk about applying these things as only individuals versus it being a group effort. My experience with working with our clients, it seems like there's a lot more growth and a lot more people get further along when they are working as a team and when they are putting their minds together and saying, okay, this is the structure that we're using together and this is what we're doing together to get from point A to to Z, right? So I'm just curious as to with kind of dividing those roles and dividing those responsibilities versus having each person in a relationship have responsibility for themselves and the relationship as a whole, why you feel that approach works better.
2: I feel like I want to make one clarification that, Please. Um,
1: oh, yeah, definitely.
2: You know, yeah, when we're, when we're, well, at least when I'm talking about being in these energies and having a polarized relationship, we're really talking about times of intimacy. It's not about, you know, hey, we're, you know, like you guys, you're probably collaboratively saying, where do we want to live? You know, and how would we pay for a house in different cities? And so getting through the life part of things, generally these days, I'm thinking we're both kind of in our masculine energy. It's kind of this get it done energy, or if it helps, I can say we're both in our directive energy. <laughs> hey, um,
0: you're speaking like, more to, you're speaking more to the podcast audience now. <laughs> all
2: right, okay. Maybe should we just say receptive and directive? for the rest of
0: our <laughs> uh, That's up to you. But I think yeah. uh, definitely, definitely it's going to click more with people.
2: Yeah, okay, I understand that. You know, think about if you think about it, you have a partner, and let's say you guys play in the lifestyle, and and you know, you you engage in BDSM activities. Some people kind of that's their mode all the time, and she wears a collar around the house, and like they really take it.
1: No, he does
2: pretty far. Okay, there you go. And sometimes, sometimes you just do that when you're, you know, in the dungeon or in the bedroom, and so. That's really what we're talking about here. It's like, when we want to choose times of intimacy, when I want her to, like in my own example, when I want her to surrender, then I put on this masculine persona, you know, maybe to a little bit more degree. And I'm like, maybe you know, I'm taking you out tonight. Put on that red dress, be ready at seven. Uh, I'm taking you out tonight. You know, or I'm just, I'm just being very directive. Or if we're in the bedroom, it's not egalitarian in, in our life because that's just not not how I like it. So it's generally me dominating. And then of course we switch and we play and then I, you know, I let her get on top and, and call the shots, but for the most part, it's a choice. So we're really talking about in times of intimacy, not all the time. So, so Cassie, like we do put our heads together. And when we're getting through life and figuring out logistics and just the mainstream parts of life. And so it's just other, other ways that we, that we adopt this more like, notably polarized relationship. Now, having said that, if I'm in the relationship and I'm like, you know, you guys have to understand the type of people that I know sort of in this suburban, you know, Southern California, Northern California area. You know, there's just a lot of guys that have no opinions and they just defer to their wives all the time. You know, I I saw a guy the other day at a a volleyball tournament and, you know, he just, I said, hey, where's your wife? And he said, oh, I don't know. I just, I kind of hang in the background and let her tell me what to do. And it didn't surprise me when I saw them together later and they had a really toxic dynamic together Um, because he, this guy had just completely abdicated sort of any of his own preferences and he just wanted to be told what to do. And I, it it wasn't from, you could tell it wasn't from a healthy way. He had just given up on the relationship and she's probably like so many women I've talked to. She's just dying, dying inside for her and to have some backbone to step up once in a while and not all the time, but step up once in a while and just take charge or be decisive or even have a damn opinion. So it's, you know, I don't want the exaggerated form of this polarity to be the only model for it. It's, it's like, even at a baseline, I think in general, there's a lot of men, a lot of men who need to have, they need to have more groundedness. They need to have more decisiveness and they need to understand their woman's emotional state so they can keep and create some safety for, for, uh, for her.
0: I would say. Yeah. And I think, I think, I think, I think we're finding the places that we agree and disagree here, which is I would <laughs> say everything you just said except substituting people for men. And, uh, but I would also say that if the only way to get them to actually have good relationship skills is to call it masculine and that's what works for your people. Uh, and you're teaching them good relationship skills, go for it. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yes,
2: yeah.
0: I, and I do think, I, I, actually think that that clarification that you made that you're mostly talking about some of this stuff in intimacy and in the bedroom that kind of polarity, to me, that's a pretty big distinction, actually, uh, as opposed to going through everyday life.
2: Yeah. And, and just going back to the first thing you just said, I grapple with this a lot. And I love that you guys are calling it out because it's actually helping me think through uh, <laughs> a, a broader, a broader application of my principles. But I, yeah, I grapple with this. You know, is this why is this just about men? Is this, you know, is there a real gender uh, anchoring point here. Anyway, I'm, I'm appreciating that you guys. I, are I think like, the answer like.
0: is no, unless that's what your people respond to. And that's who you have a passion to work with. I mean, yeah, I think that's yeah. the, <laughs> I think that's the answer to the question from my perspective because all the stuff that you're talking about, as far as the blueprint and the way, I mean, this is just what we teach people In as far as healthy relationships, <laughs> period. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, that would be, it would be my point of view on it. Mm-hmm. But yeah. if the way that you're getting people to apply good relationship skills is to, is just pointed out as masculine,
1: And also if it's if it's your desired market, right? We we draw the people we want to work with with certain terminology.
2: Yeah, and I like one of you guys said something about being passionate about it and being a divorced man and and the pain that I went through from that whole process. Like I have so much empathy for guys who are you know, who are like me. They're you know, they're kind of in the middle of their life, they've got kids and their their relationship sucked or sucks and they're unhappy, but they don't know it. And so I have so much passion and empathy for helping men like that
0: it seems like you do to make, like I said, that jump from like high tech to, (laughs) to what you're doing now.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's not altogether different. Silicon Valley is, it's not a, it's not an old school place. So I, you know, I was in Silicon Valley for so many years and and it's, it's like people who are here, they want to be inspired. They don't want to be told what to do. You know, it's not like the 1950s. And so it's very, the business world here has been very modern in that sense. And so, teaching men to inspire their women. I mean, if you you saw the the subtitle of the book and, you know, inspiring the trust, lust and devotion of a strong woman. And that's really what it's about. You know, I want these men to be able to inspire their wives to, for their best to come out. It's not like the 1950s where they're supposed to be in charge. I mean, it's archaic.
0: I think strong, healthy people tend to attract strong, healthy people.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Attract or maybe keep. (laughs) Yeah. That's what I was thinking. The word sustain. Yeah. Um, Sometimes you can you can get attracted to something that's not good for you, and, and you don't know how to do it. Like for instance, I'll, I'll just say this, Josh. Like my wife, I, I was very drawn to her. I mean, we were drawn to each other because I loved her confidence, but um, I didn't know how to be with it. I didn't know how to be with her strength, and I and I hadn't dealt with my own insecurities at the time. So I was very attracted to her, but I didn't know how to be with her. And that's you know if I, that's what I want to teach men to do is like don't squelch your your partner enjoy the fact that she's powerful and learn to be with that in a really healthy way.
0: I think that's a good, I, I think that's a, I think that's a good observation. What I said about strong, strong, healthy people attract strong, healthy people is not always true. Uh, that's certainly, there are certainly people who for whatever reason go against that, <laughs> that model. So yeah, mm-hmm. no, I think that's a good, I think that's actually a pretty, pretty solid observation on that. I feel like mm-hmm. I could talk about just that for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> <Shit>.
2: <laughs> But yeah, I would actually, you guys are experienced in this area of, of kink and, and power dynamics. So many of the guys who are, who are my clients um, are sharing with me their their, their wives or girlfriend's dissatisfaction in the bedroom. And a lot of these guys are nice guys. And they're really afraid to assert themselves. They're afraid to be edgy and do the kind of things that can really bring the, the spice if you're, if you're playing in, in, well, just I'll say just sexuality. It, it's hard because, you know, men have had thousands of years of patriarchy and misogyny and abuse of women. And so the pendulum has swung the other way for a lot of men. And so they, they just, they don't want anything to do with that because they think that that makes them misogynistic assholes. I'm teaching these guys, you know, almost to find their dark side. To be able to bring that in the bedroom and if all they had was their dark side, then they then they would be those misogynistic assholes. But I don't know, the angle that I've been taking is, is you know, I'm, I'm helping you find your dark side where you do assert yourself like you're not so worried about what the other person thinks as long as you've got sort of consent and, and a framework in place but you're, you're willing to go a little bit edgier than you normally would. But it, to do that healthily, you've got to be coupled with heart. And I think that's one of the biggest things I learned from David data was, you know, if you're going to be dominated, if you're going to spank your woman, for instance, like you have to have heart literally in your hand as you do the spank, you know, figuratively speaking. And so I know that's the element I've been taking is that dark side couple with your heart is actually really the right approach. But I'm curious how, what your experience of that is, and how you, I don't, lead men into maybe being able to bring more edge into the relationship.
0: So, is the question kind of how, when we're talking to people who are interested in bringing more of that, let's say, variety into the bedroom, kind of how we tend to look at that and how we tend to talk to people about that?
2: Yeah. Like, how does what I said land? And then, how do you talk to people about it?
0: It landed interestingly. I think that well I'll tell you I'll tell you what you what you said that I think is is an often overlooked part of of this which is for a lot of people it's not just learning the skill or even learning how to talk about it with their partner there is a lot of mind trash and a lot of you know attached to whatever it is whether they're they're interested in being more submissive whether they're interested in being more dominant you know either direction I think that there is always a lot of mind trash for people who are brand new to it that does stand in the way, and I think that is something that does not actually get talked about very much. So I thought that was a pretty interesting point that you brought up.
2: Mm-hmm. And what's mind trash? What's that? tell me about that phrase that you used?
1: So mind trash would be I'm concerned about my partner's, you know, is going to be upset about this or that this is going to go wrong or. I don't deserve to do this, or maybe my fetish or desire is weird and that sort of thing. So there's a, there's a lot of things. Basically, anything that's or, got you clouded.
0: Yeah, any of those beliefs or fears that are standing your way of getting what you want, right? So, or I shouldn't be dominant; it's misogynistic. Or I shouldn't be submissive; it's not masculine. Or my religion says this is this is wrong. Like all that stuff. That's that's what I'm talking yeah. about when I say mind trash.
2: Yeah, got it. Yeah, it's, it's it's being in your head. This is the stories in your head that come up that limit you. Yeah. And that's, that's a lot of the embodiment I work do with my clients is intended to get like below that and get down to the nervous system level where you're really settling the nervous system. And so I I find that the stories like that, the things that hold us back just tend to naturally decrease or go away when you really settle the nervous system. So I have them do embodiment exercises and then they, we might play with verbalization or beliefs and things like that really down at that deep nervous system level so they can get below the, the I guess, mind trash. Uh,
0: yeah, so I think I think anything is, you know, and I mean, I'm sure you know this from working with your clients, right? But I mean, any any problem you're talking about, there's a mindset aspect and a strategy aspect. So I think the mindset aspect is what you brought up really well, kind of, and you're, you're laying it out. But I think definitely when you're talking about how to introduce it to a partner and then also learning to do things safely, I think there's definitely big big strategy portions of that. And Cassie, I'm going to, this is way more your.
1: <laughs> well, yeah. Any Anytime you are bringing something into the bedroom, you brought up like the, the analogy of, of spanking your woman. I like to spank my women or yeah. <laughs> but anytime that you are in a situation where you're bringing things to the bedroom, it can't just be confidence that shows up. Knowledge mm-hmm. does too, right? Yeah. And it has to be something where you have to have the skills as well as the bronze. And also one of the things that you said was showing up with heart. And that is important because when you play with power dynamics and you play with anything that gets the endorphins going like that, you do have to care for a partner afterwards, right? We we don't want to break our toys. (laughs) So it's an important thing to remember that our partners are people who have feelings and bodies and, and we want to show up knowledgeable, not just confident.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, and what you're speaking to ties into the third element of the blueprint creates safety and whether that's safety with aftercare or it's for me even more importantly, like during, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's the, I'll talk to guys a lot about attunement. We do a lot of practice about splitting their attention partially on their own pleasure, but really having some large portion of their attention on her and the little movements of her face and just being attuned to what is feeling good and what's not feeling good. Because a lot of guys can get lost in their own pleasure, or maybe the thing they're trying to do, and lose track of their partner, and you know, they then not caring for her and creating that safety in the flow uh, of the sexuality at the time.
0: I think that, and so, like when we're talking to people about it, it I think it's important. You know, if, as far as if you're if you're just like you're trying to like you're you're trying to have like a little rougher sex or something like that, I think you're mainly dealing with. I mean I said my trash but you know with that that mindset end of things right and I'm I'm sure you know that like from your work that mindset and changing somebody's mindset and changing those beliefs and the way people think about things and overcoming the fears that that's mainly something that you have to do in like a coaching or a, you know some kind of actual interaction right because it's different for everybody but as far as the strategy end of it you know for people who are if they're looking to go further than just that rough sex and really go into kink, you know, I really recommend that once people are moving that direction, that they really actually educate themselves on specifically whatever it is they're interested in doing. You know, I mean, this is the wonder of the, wonder of the modern age. You know, when we, we discovered we were kinky, what?
1: Almost 17 years ago at this point.
0: Yeah. What she said, like, you know, there wasn't at that point. And I I would say
1: that we discovered that
0: we were each, we were both kinky.
1: Yeah, I was like, I, I had been I had been like, you know, putting girls in dresses and spanking their butts for years before that. So, yeah, I just didn't have a label yeah. for it. But anywho, I digress. So
2: what a, what a wonderful discovery that you guys are both. on. The oh, side. yeah. That's
0: fantastic. <laughs> well, you know, our, our meeting story is that the first time we met. Well, no, sorry. Sorry. The second time the first time we met, we didn't like each other. Nope, the second not all. time we met, she handcuffed me to a table. And then we got along.
1: I handcuffed him to a table and dry humped him. And it's been love ever since.
0: This was the story my best man told at our wedding. So Nice. Yes, it was actually pretty nice. (laughs) So, you know, I would recommend that people, you know, if they're moving past that into really, I mean, I can't understate the mindset as far as like you need it, right? Like you have to have it or you're going to be caught up in all that stuff. You're going to be in your head. You're not going to be paying attention to who you do. but. Once you're working through some of that, if you're really actually digging into kink, I mean, there's so many resources now to learn to do things safely, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's books, whether it's online classes, whether it's up until recently, you know, going out to groups like where they're teaching stuff. I'm sure now some of that stuff's moved online.
2: Maybe I'm, I'm actually making a supposition here, but if you live in a city and maybe you're in your 20s, maybe you're, you're sort of more open to that. But if you, if you talk about like guys in their 40s who live in the burbs, and which includes present company. They, they like, they have no idea. I mean, they, they go look at porn, but that's not what you're talking about. You're talking about actual educational resources. And and so that's, I'm saying the same thing as as you guys in that sense of like, just go expose yourself to healthy educational sexuality resources and like start expanding your mind over what's possible. It's not just maybe the same vanilla sex you've been having with your wife for 15 to 20 years, but it's like, go educate yourself and just kind of the more you watch, the more videos on rope tying that you watch, you know, you'll, it'll just expand your boundaries a little bit more and you realize there's a whole cornucopia of things to do. But guys in the burbs are just like, it's so outside their bubble, they, they can't even begin the thought process on it. So that's when I'm pushing a lot of my clients around is get educated and just expand your horizons.
0: Yeah. And it's, you know, it's definitely one of those things where I will 100% of the time push people to those resources because, you know, I mean, we don't get me wrong. I mean, we teach on actually some of this stuff we teach on directly. I mean, we've been teaching in the BDSM space longer than we've been. Well, for the same like the time we've been teaching in relationships, right? But like when we're working with people on relationships, it's like, okay, we're working on relationships. I'll get you over what's standing in your way of trying this stuff. But then I'm going to point you to – I'm going to point you to go get educated on that because we don't, we don't have time with what we're doing for me to teach you how how to, how to tie somebody up and do consensual non-consent and, you know, negotiate a scene. And like, Although oh, we, we do point people – we do have a video we point people yeah. to on negotiating a
1: scene. <laughs> I was like, we um, actually do have that.
0: Yeah, but – you know, yeah. So I, I really think it's important for people to, once they start getting past that mind trash, just for silly, like you said, for safety, to really make sure they're getting educated because not everything that we do is safe. <laughs> I'll bet. I'll bet. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm all for it. I'm, I'm 100% behind what you said, which is just expand your horizons, learn more and you'll see what's possible.
0: So I think... Cassie, this is my fault. I think we kind of firmly digressed from the path you had laid out here.
1: Um,
0: I, I, well, I have a question for you guys.
2: Okay. Um, you guys are very much focused on polyamory. Mm-hmm. And it's, not, it's, it's not my field of expertise in any way, but it seems like create safety would be huge in polyamory because there's so much emotional risk from having multiple partners. And I'm wondering if you, I mean, I'd actually almost for my own edification mm-hmm. and education, you know, is there, a, is there a nugget that I can sort of incorporate in anybody that I might teach who's, who's Ollie uh, about how to create that safety?
0: Yes. Make sure your relationship is solid before you go adding in new people. Um, That's the first and I'm not And I'm not saying if you already have other relationships and everything's on the rocks, like cut everybody else out and break up. That causes its own set of issues. But I'm saying whatever you got.
1: Yeah, whatever established relationships you have, whether it's, one other person or five if shit's bad fix it before adding anybody else that mm-hmm. is the first thing <laughs> that's the first that would be the easy nugget i would give easy nugget
0: <laughs> anything um, else you wanted to add i mean i could add a million things but if you were asking for a nugget that would be it because yeah. so many people so many people when you're talking so first off safety is super important and that was one reason and especially when you're talking about polyamory it has to come from everybody in the relationship which i think Ooh. is where we got off on some of those conversations earlier And it is so important. And the problem is one of the big mistakes that people make, especially people who are newer, is there's something going wrong in their relationship and they decide to, maybe it's in an effort to fix it, maybe it's not, but they decide to add somebody else. And the problem becomes when your relationship already doesn't feel safe. Because it's already rocky. It's already insecure. You know, maybe you've been talking about breaking up, maybe not. But you're already not feeling that safety and security there. And now you're throwing the complications, the emotional complications, the time complications of another relationship on top of it. You're just asking for problems. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, it's like building your house on a, you know, shifting sands or a foundation that's not solid. You're just asking for trouble.
0: Yeah. So that would, that would be my nugget. Cassie, would that be your nugget or would you have another? That that? was
1: my top one. Actually, (laughs) I frequently teach a webinar and in it, one of the things that we talk about is prioritizing the present, which is prioritizing your present relationships above everything else. And we can't stress that enough. So, you know, when we're, we're talking about those things, you know, that is something that it's really easy, even when maybe things aren't horrible but things aren't great to be like ooh shiny new thing right and not to recognize that if you have something bad going on here or not great going on here it's probably not going to get great if you just leave it alone right you got to take care of you got to take care of what you got so yeah. that would be my first one and the second thing that i was going to say is is that this is our catchphrase. So if you do decide to implement it, you can say Cassie and, and, and <laughs> Rigel said it, which is treat people like people. When you are looking for partners, when you are adding partners to your life, everybody is an individual. Every person has needs, wants, desires. Treat them like a human, regardless mm-hmm. of if that relationship is something that is a fling or is a marriage or um, somebody you're
0: going to meet once a month and fuck.
1: Yeah, I have lots of those. And every single one of them is a person that I love and adore. And mermaid, if you're listening, I'm talking about you. So completely ignore that. I have a mermaid that I mess around with every once in a while. <laughs> my point being is just anytime you're interacting with another human, recognizing that they're a person too.
2: Yeah. And that I, t- what comes up for me is just when I'm, it's, it's actually one of my own growth edges. And when I'm teaching to the guys or at least starting to, is just, the more you're in your heart, the more you're gonna feel this other person. And I think, you know, being in your heart is also similar to what you just said, Cassie, which is really seeing them as another person, not an object, not a one you know, two-dimensional character, but like somebody that has feelings and needs and vulnerabilities. And I find that that if I can get these men more into their heart, they start to see their partner like that. So when they see their partner in distress, they they're able to more appropriately respond when they come from the place of their own heart.
1: I have a question kind of bringing it back to, you know, the main topic of masculine leadership, right? Mm -hmm. Do you find that there's a conflict between being in your heart and being a masculine leader?
2: Yes. It's hard for a lot of men to integrate those two energies in an artful way. And doing so is the art of what I'm talking about. On one end of the spectrum, you might have these like alpha male bros, like, yeah, I'm the fucking
0: man, you know? <laughs> and
2: then on, on the other end, you've got like the nice guy who's a doormat,
0: mm-hmm. you
2: know, and the nice guy, he's all heart, but he's like, there's no, there's no direction from this guy And the versus the alpha bro who, you know, it's all about controlling everybody else, but there's no heart. And I think those two ends of the spectrum can kind of illustrate where I think the healthy balance point for men is it's like you're in your own heart and you have a directive energy about yourself. Uh, at the same time. And I, th- I think the combination of those is the art of what I, I'm hoping to put out in the world.
1: Amazing.
0: Yeah, no, I uh, will hop into the speed round here in just a second. But you know, this has been a, a very pleasant conversation. It's been a very interesting, you know, talking to somebody who is trying to create better relationships, but doing it with such a different audience and a bit of a different emphasis. But kind of seeing the places of similarity and the places of not so similarity uh, has been actually, this has been really interesting. I've actually really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, me me
2: too, guys. You guys are both very sharp. So I've enjoyed this. Awesome. So
1: before we wrap up, are you down for doing our speed round?
2: Yeah, I have no idea what it is, but sure, let's do it. All right. So
1: the idea is it's like 10 questions as fast as you can. It's supposed to be 60 seconds. Like, don't overthink it. And uh, we'll wrap up with that.
0: Yeah, there's no wrong answers. There
1: is no wrong answers aside for taking incredibly too long to answer.
0: (laughs) Excellent. Let's do it.
1: (laughs) All right. So what is something you're not very good at?
2: Uh, Homemaking.
1: Best piece of relationship advice you've ever received?
2: Learn to find your heart when you're dealing with your feminine partner.
1: What are three things you couldn't live without?
2: Couldn't live without mm-hmm. really, really dark coffee. My porch, where I can sit outside and work from home.
1: Okay, what turns you on?
2: A bad girl.
1: <laughs> okay, tell me something that's true that almost nobody agrees with you on. Oh fuck! <laughs> <laughs> that would all. We had, had to put that
2: one later. Oh yeah, uh, that that EMFs are killing us. <laughs> You
1: know. <laughs> All right. A book that you would recommend for our listeners, and it shouldn't be yours.
2: Yes, of course. The classic way of the superior man.
1: Okay. Uh what's your biggest fear?
2: Being alone.
1: Hmm. I think that's a big fear for everybody. Yeah. What's the most adventurous thing you've ever done? It can be an ex- sexual adventure or not a sexual adventure.
2: Uh sex in an incredibly public place. Thanks. Nice. <laughs> My last girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Who is your movie TV star crush?
2: Brad Pitt. I hate to say it, and I'm totally straight. <laughs> okay.
1: All right. If you're saying Brad Pitt, you're not as straight as you think you are. All right. What's something you're working on right now that you would like our listeners to know about?
2: I'm putting together the, both a dark energy workshop, which I think I mentioned, and a meditation course online. I'm very proud of both.
0: Okay. And kind of along those lines, where can our audience find you if they're interested?
2: gsyoungblood.com is the easiest place. Uh, And then you can find me on Facebook, both a discussion group and then one that's named after
0: me. Okay. And uh, if you send us the links, we will put those in the show notes. So it has been fantastic talking to you.
2: Awesome. Yeah. Same here. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it.
1: Thanks for listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, where we're building relationships outside of the box. Got a question about kink, power exchange, or open relationships that you've been holding on to for years? This is the place to ask it. Submit your question at atouchofflavor.com slash ask, or leave us a voicemail at 833-ASK-TOF1.